0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Today in our Are We There Yet? sermon series, we're going to look at the way. You know, if you're asking the question, are we there yet? You have to be able to answer, well, where is there? But then you also need to know the way to get there. You know, the manner, the method, the means, but also the pathway that's going to get you to where you want to go. And in the Bible, we're told that Jesus is the way. So we're going to dig in a little bit today and just look at what are God's ways, his means, and his method to get us where he wants to take us, and we're going to discover that it's all about Jesus. This is new, isn't it? It's new. It's new, and it's great. It is good, isn't it? It's so nice to see everybody, and in a different space, but hey, we're going to carry on, because that's what we do one week after the next, right? So there's some things that are a little bit different right now, but hey, the same thing's going on. We're meeting with Jesus. Jesus is meeting with us. We're meeting with each other. It's a good day. It's a good Sunday. Yeah. Now, I, I just want to, I don't know, we are online, right? So I probably should clear some things up. I had a couple of people ask me this week, why, why did you take your shoes off? That was a bit weird. Really and weird. it was weird, right? And I, even my my youngest daughter on the way in, she's like, are you going to take your clothes off or something? I'm like... I'm like <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. I was like, so, you know what, that, that was very out of character for me. But you know what, you know there's a couple times in the Bible where uh, Moses met God at the burning bush and he took his shoes off. And then the, there was the angel, uh, or the, the captain of the host. Jesus himself comes and encounters Joshua. Joshua takes his shoes off. And I, I don't know, just last week it just really struck me. You know, sometimes there's, there's holy ground. And you know, holy ground is where the church of God is gathered. You know? So we're in a gym today. We could be in a field next week. We won't. We'll be here. Come back here. <laughs> Come back to the same place. But you know what I mean? It's where the people of God are gathered, because that's what he says, where two or three are gathered. And that, that's, you know, and I really, really love the, the, the Joshua story that Pastor Carl preached on, where, where Jesus basically meets uh, Joshua. And Joshua's like, hey, are you on our side? And he's like, no. He's like, are you on their side? No. I'm here to take over. And the, the thing that just really struck me last week is, that, and, and Pastor Carl has already alluded to it a little bit today, but just how kind of polarized the world is. But you know what? Just a beautiful picture of let's get off of our ground and let's meet each other in the house of God. Let's meet each other on God's holy ground. Let's all take our shoes off and let's join on that place where Jesus is. Because I'll tell you what, something powerful happens when the church of God gathers. So uh, that, that was what was going on. I probably should have explained it a little bit better. It turns out I had actually had a pretty profound moment with Jesus in worship last week and it really kind of kind of hit me so um that's the explanation in case anybody's wondering are his shoes coming off today no (laughs) probably never again (laughs) but that that was what was going on through my head but anyways guys we're going to carry on with the the sermon series are we there yet maybe you're asking that question already today wow are we there yet when are we getting into commissioners are we there yet please (laughs) but uh you know you got to know where there is And that's something we've been talking about. And for us, we've got a vision in front of us. We've got a really beautiful new space that we're going to. But also what God is doing and where we're going as a church, a global church, is actually amazing. It's actually worth spending time looking through the Bible and looking at some prophetic chapters. Like even just look at Isaiah chapter 11 where it talks about some crazy stuff. That there's going to be no war on the earth. Even the animal kingdom itself is going to be transformed. Romans chapter 8, it talks about how you know even the the world itself that groans for for transformation and liberty from the things that it's in bondage to. Even that is going to change. Harmony in nature. Like, oh my goodness, God is going to do something so wonderful and so amazing. And he's going to do it through us. So that's where we're going. That's where we're going. We're going to a place where the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and it's impactful, it's tangible, it changes things. And the world itself is gonna be transformed and it's not gonna be by God himself and it's not gonna be by us. It's gonna be by Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Jesus could do all this stuff by himself. He could just go like that and everything's all sorted out. But his plan is an intention, and his intention is to use us, to make us partners with him. So buckle up because it's going to be a pretty exciting ride. Because when I look at the world right now, I say, oh my goodness, how's that going to happen? But you can rest assured it will it is going to happen. The whole thing is going to get sorted out. There will be peace on earth. There will be prosperity. There will not be famine. There will not be death and disease and sickness and illness. There will be no curse. Believe it or not, the curse itself has already been defeated. And there's going to be a people who realize it and stand up and say no more enough is enough, it's done. And we're going to start to walk in the fullness of our identity as sons and daughters of God. And we're going to see nature itself transform, not just problems, but the very essence of everything is going to be substantially shifted and express the glory of God. How good is that? That's where we're going. I mean, what, what better message is there out there? Who else has got a better hope than that? I mean, some people got answers to problems and a few solutions to a problem that's going on, but we know somebody who actually gets into the very fabric of everything and transforms it, and he's actually already done it through his resurrection. So when he was raised up from the dead, he reconciled the cosmos to himself. Not just us, not just, you know, a single person here and there, but in his resurrection, he's already provided the solution for all of the world's problems. What's waiting to happen is for us to say, wow, I get it. And now we're to start to walk in it in a powerful way. So that's where we're going, guys. And we're going to get there by being his witnesses, which is what we talked about last week. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The world needs a demonstration of the, a witness to Jesus as the resurrected one, the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who's already fixed everything, and in his resurrected body constituted a solution for every problem on earth. And he needs a witness. Yeah. He needs a demonstration in the earth, so he sent his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit came with incredible passion and energy and clarity of what his purpose was and his intention was. He came with such zeal and passion in order to make Jesus known and the solution that Jesus is to every problem that you can find Holy Spirit inside of you. If you see a problem in the world welling up inside of you saying, I got the answer because I am the helper. I can help. I can help I can be a solution because yeah. you got the helper inside of you so that's what we looked at a little bit last week is just being a witness and that's really what it boils down to it boils down to Jesus inside of you and you giving the people around you an opportunity to encounter him through the things you say the things you do how you live and how you walk so it's actually quite easy Jesus inside of me is so powerful Jesus inside of me does things in my world and in my life that makes people when they have a conversation with me what how did that happen? How does that work? What's going on there? See, the Bible says always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Sometimes we're trying to uh, answer questions no one's asking, but hey, we got the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and we got the power of God, so we get to create questions in people, and then thankfully, we can point them to Jesus as the answer. Today, we're going to carry on with the book of Acts. We've been journeying through the, through the book of Acts, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I hate journeys. I just, I said this to my kids all the time, man. I love living in the country, but I wish I just had a button that I could push and be in London, like a helicopter or something. You know, journeys, journeys bothers me. The idea of processes, I don't like them, but they're real. God does have processes and God has ways. And it's really, really important that we understand what God's ways are and maybe even more to the point what his way is not. So when we say, are we there yet? We got to know where there is. But then when we know where there is, we got to know the way to get there. We got to know the path that we're meant to take. We got to know God's path and we got to know his manner and method to get us there. So knowing God's ways is actually a big deal. So Psalm 103 verse 7, it says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. So somehow Moses had this amazing relationship with Jesus where he would talk to him face to face like a man talks to a friend, and Moses got to know the intimate ways of God, why he does what he does and how he does it, not just see what he does from afar. That's what happened for the Israelites. And sometimes, you know, God's ways are weird. God's ways are mysterious. They're a little bit strange. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So, I mean, sometimes it's strange. It just seems weird to us. And it's almost counterintuitive. Proverbs 14:12 it says that there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman or a human, but its end is the way of death. See, the knowledge of good and evil, when our our parents, our our Adam and Eve, our first human ancestors, when they they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what it did is it it put them at the center and the driving seat of determining what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, and all of a sudden they said, I know how to be like God. I know how to do God-type stuff, and I can be the one who determines what that looks like and how that works. But the Bible says that's actually the way of death. So when we say, I know it in myself, by myself, I know how to get there, I know how to get to my destiny, I know how to uh, develop, I can develop myself into everything that God wants us to do, it seems right, it sounds right, but it is the way of death. And as a result, it says in Isaiah 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one of us where? To his own way. For the Lord had to lay on him the iniquity of us all. Because when we decided to go our own way and we decided to eat of that fruit, something so corrupting happened to us that we became so baptized in our own self-righteous understanding of we know how to do things, we know what's right, we alone are the arbiters of right and wrong, good and evil. Something happened to the human race that corrupted our nature and drove us to live out of this kind of I know the best way to do this, I know how to do God-type type stuff. And so the prayer of the people of God from even the Old Testament days has been, God, deliver us and save us from the evil way. Intuitively, the people in the Old Testament, they knew there's something wrong here. There's something wrong. We're, tr- we're trying things and it's not working. Somehow there's just a problem, right? Things just aren't going the way that they should go. So you see people like the psalmist say, teach me your way, O oh God that I might walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. Teach me your ways has been this call that's just come out of humanity ever since. Teach me your ways. The way in the, in the Hebrew, it's direct. It means a way, a road, a distance, a journey, or a manner or a method to get somewhere. So when we talk about God's ways, we're, we're talking about his path, the path he has for you, the path he has for us as a fellowship and how we're gonna realize the, the destiny of God on our lives as individuals and as a fellowship. But also, it's not just what that path leads to, but it's how do we walk that path? asking God about his ways is a really big deal. It's a call that's come out of the human heart ever since we felt like we were alienated from him. So we're going to jump around in the book of Acts a little bit today. We're going to look at a few things, but one of the most fascinating things for me in the book of Acts is that the early church became known as followers of the way. The way. So Acts chapter 9, verse 2, here's Paul. He said, well, Saul, he says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to to Jerusalem. So it's really interesting. So when you see in Paul, you see this conflict. And there was a great conflict in the early church, because the early church actually understand themselves to be Jews. I mean, they were ethnically, but they thought that what they were doing as Christians was actually uh, the fulfillment of what the God of Israel had always promised them. So they understood themselves to be actually, we're worshiping Yahweh, We're, we're worshiping Jehovah, and we're doing it now in the way that he's prescribed through his son. But there were other Jewish people, obviously, who didn't recognize Jesus and said, no, no, Yahweh, he does things this way. This is how God does things. And so there was this great clash that happened in the Jewish community and in the community that the early church was born in, basically around this question. What are the ways of God? This God who met us, this God who met our ancestors, this God who communicated to us, who called out Abraham, how, he gave the law to Moses. How, how did this happen? How do we follow him? How do we serve him? And the question arose around the person of Jesus. And the question is, well, what, what is, how do I serve? How do I follow? How do I walk in the path of the God of Israel? And the Jews had some very, very good answers to these questions. They were very jealous about God. They had the scriptures, they had the Old Testament, they had the law, they had the prophets. They, uh, they had his word, and they were very, very convinced that they knew how to do it. And there was a lot of religious leaders who actually you know, made careers and uh, had established uh, esteemed positions in society by being able to say, I know the ways of Yahweh, and I can show it to you. Now kind of esteem me, because watch me go. I'll, I'll, I'll help you. And so you see in Paul, in his conversion, is this amazing thing. Not only did he go from, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. He was like, wow, maybe the God of Israel does things differently than I thought. Maybe the God of Israel has a way for me to get to what he's promised than what I've always typically thought and believed. He's like, wow, I've been going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. And he has this conversion where he says in Acts chapter 24, but this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that was in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. So he had a conversion where he saw that what he thought was God's ways were not God's ways at all. And what he thought was God's path and God's method for getting, it, getting him there wasn't correct at all. And he came to see that Christianity, this newly formed thing where Jesus himself came down to earth, died on a cross, was raised from the dead, ascended, glorified, poured out the Holy Spirit. He was like, wow. I think that's how God wants to get us there. This thing that we've been doing called the law, this thing that we've been doing called the prophets, this thing we've been doing called our temple system, it's not the vehicle that's gonna get us there. That is not gonna take us into God's promise. So they had a really hard time with this because they had a tradition, they had heritage, they had a system of worship that they believed was given to them by God. And they thought what they had represented the fullness of God's ways for them, but they didn't realize that they were only seeing in part see, although they had the law and the prophets, they didn't really have God's ways. I don't want to try and explain that to you real quick. Watch this in John. Just give me a second because this might be initially offensive, but (laughs) we'll get there. (laughs) Thanks, Stephen. A couple things about the law. And when I say the law, I'm talking about, you know, we've got the law of Moses. We've got a very particular law in the Old Testament. But I'm also talking about any prescribed code of conduct, ethics, behavior, principles, systems, anything that you can basically write down and say, here's the six steps in order to get there. That's what we mean by law. So I'm not just talking about in the Old Testament when they said, don't mix your threads or don't eat shellfish. I'm talking about anything. I mean, you can make self-help a law. Communities, We can have our own kind of laws. We can say weird things to each other, like you can't come to worship unless you look like this or dress like that. That's a law. We can say weird things to people, like the only way you're going to experience the fullness of God in your life is if you pray and fast every Friday. You know, that's a law. A law is I'm not going to manifest the fullness of God in my life unless I pray half an hour every day. That's a law. I mean, it sounds good, right? who doesn't like to pray half an hour every day but i mean if you make that a routine and something that you're trusting if i do this thing this prescribed thing for me it's going to result in some sort of spiritual benefit unfortunately that's not true see john chapter 1 verse 7 so when we when we reference the law here keep in mind that's what we're talking about the law was given through moses moses brought the law but grace and truth came through Jesus and actually you can read about it in uh, in Hebrews but it actually says there was a bunch of angelic mediators involved in the giving of the law but key thought here the law was given through Moses Deuteronomy 31:9 so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests Moses Moses had a big part to play in this 1 Corinthians 9:9 9, 9, for it is written in the law of Moses Constantly throughout the scriptures, you're going to hear reference to the law of Moses. The law of Moses. The law of Moses. Moses wrote the law. The Bible refers to it as the law of Moses. And honestly, I do believe some of it came from God, 100%. I'm not trying to say that it didn't. But maybe, just maybe, some of it came from Moses too. Maybe. Or at the very least, was filtered through his worldview. Now, how can I say that? Watch this. Matthew chapter 19, verse 8. He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it's not been this way. Jesus seems to be saying here that at least there's some portion of what was in the law that represented what Moses permitted, but not necessarily God's intention. The law was not always God's plan. Law will not get you there. He seems to say, you know what? Moses actually added a little bit to this. Moses had a part to play in this. And maybe that's why Jesus felt totally okay coming along and saying things like, you know, you might have heard it said. Where did you hear it say? In the law. Maybe you heard it said, Matthew 21, you've heard it said, do not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with a brother without cause will be in danger of judgment. Matthew five 27, 28, you've heard it said of old, where? In the law. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus comes along and actually says, you know what? The law is inadequate. It doesn't represent fully who God is and what he's all about. Neither does it fully help you to get to the righteousness of God. He said, hey, this is inadequate. He says, there's something else going on. And those who are experts with God's law, who really thought they knew how God does stuff and could really explain to you, you want God's best in your life, this is how you get it. Actually, those people were the ones who were totally wrong. Imagine this, Jesus comes, and I think it's in John chapter 5, but he actually says, no one knows the Father except the Son. How crazy is that? Like, I mean, I take that for granted. I'm just like, yeah, that's amazing. He said that to a bunch of religious professionals. Yeah. He said that to a group of people who had 2,000 years of history of the law of God, the prophets of God. Jesus shows up and says, no one, no one knows the Father except for the Son and those whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Right. How crazy is that? I mean, how... How would you take that? You've built your whole life on what you think God is and who you think he is and what you think he wants and what you think his ways are. And then all of a sudden this guy, this carpenter comes along and says, eh, wrong. Everything you think you've known, sorry, wrong. I'll, I'll actually explain it to you. I mean, you, you can imagine some people are just like, wow, who does this guy think he is? I mean, no wonder they got so mad at him. These guys gave their lives to the business of knowing God and helping people follow him. And he says, nope, nope. No one knows him but me. And I'll give you the knowledge of the Father. And that's what happens. That's the relationship we have with God the Father. I mean, you want to have intimacy with God? Here's, here's a one-step process. Receive the knowledge of the Father from the Son. You can't know God any better than Jesus does. And he shares his relationship with God with us. How amazing is that? I get to walk right into his relationship with the Father. I don't have to do a 16-step process to intimacy with God or a better relationship or anything like that. I, I can't get any better than what I have. Jesus imparts to me his knowledge of his Father. And that's how I get to live. And the same faith that Jesus had in his Father to do stuff is the same faith that I get to live with when I live by the faith of the Son of God. Come on, when you see that Jesus is God's way, and we're going to get to this, but when you see this, you see that the impartation of Jesus to your spirit and soul is actually God's way and actually gives you everything you could possibly ever hope for or strive for. So zeal, volume, willpower, conviction, none of this stuff is evidence that you're walking in God's path. You can be seriously, zealously committed to error. That's possible. I mean, didn't Paul say about the Israelites, he's like, these guys are super zealous, but zeal without knowledge, not good. Kind of ugly. I know a lot of people, you you might be thinking, you know, the, the law is good. God gave the law, and I'm not trying to say the law is bad. Look at this, Romans 7, verse 12. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment, holy, just, and good. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, and I'm sold under sin. So there's aspects of the law that did come from God, 100%. I mean, Moses got involved in the process. It very much was the law of Moses. But there were things that God himself gave to Moses and were communicated to him. Now, here's the thing. The law is good but it's got to be used rightly. First Timothy 1 verse 8, For we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law, believe it or not, it's still good. It has a really, really relevant place in our lives today if you use it right. Here's where the Israelites went wrong. They had God's law, but they mistook His law for His ways. When they read the law, they saw a prescriptive list of things they could do to be right with God, things they could do in order to earn God's blessing, things they could do to get to that final destination that they have been promised. Uh, they, they saw this prescriptive list of things to do, but the law is actually descriptive of Jesus. It's descriptive of our need for him, and it's descriptive of a righteousness that we can only manifest when Jesus himself lives inside of us. It's actually not a prescription for what we should do whatsoever. And Jesus seemed to, to validate this idea. John chapter five verse 46. He says, "If you believed Moses sorry, Moses I made that guy up. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me." Wow, Jesus is saying, Moses wrote about me. If you're getting something else out of the law, you're not reading it right. Right. You're not using it lawfully, as Paul would say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 8 there. You're not using the law lawfully because he wrote about me. He didn't write about what to do and what not to do, although you can find that there. But if that's what you're seeing and that's where you've arrived at, you've read it wrong. According to Jesus himself. The law is actually far more than a prescriptive way of living. It's actually a prophecy about Jesus. Matthew 11:13 13 says that the, the prophets and the law prophesied until John. It wasn't meant to be, here's how to live your life. And neither are the new laws that you know are out there today that you can find in Christian books and all that kind of stuff. Those laws are not and never were God's plan and intention for our lives. They are not God's ways. The law prophesied until John, because not until Jesus, but until John, because John the Baptist came on the scene and he represented the fullness of what the ministry of the law and the prophets was meant to do. Right? He he was the greatest, you know, born among men or whatever under that covenant. Right? But whoever's least in the kingdom of God is greater. It's like the law and the prophets, and then John sits above them. His life and his ministry summarize what they're all about. And what did John the Baptist do? Was his ministry all about how bad you are? Or was his ministry summed up in this? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There stands among you today somebody whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to undo. He's the one who's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist says, hey, the law, everything that I represent in the past, it's actually not here to tell you how to do things differently. It's actually here to point you to the Lamb of God who takes away your shortcomings and failures, baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and empowers a totally different new way of living for you. Amen. Come on. Luke 24:44 says now he said to them these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled. It was written about Jesus. It wasn't written as a guide for how to live our lives. There's some great things in it. 100% there is. For example, we'll get to this in a minute. Don't steal. The Bible says the law says don't steal. You shouldn't steal. But you know why you shouldn't steal? Because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, and He's producing the love of God in you, and you realize that's not a loving thing to do. That's not in keeping with the nature of God. So, I mean, there's a little bit of confusion. I'm not saying go steal. I'm not saying go commit adultery. I'm not saying when the Bible says, Thou shalt not murder, go murder. That's not what we're saying at all, but what we are saying is there's a new way to live that out, right. and it doesn't involve living out of you know, our stressful, energetic efforts in our own humanity to try and do the right thing so that maybe God will bless us and take us to another level. That's not what it's about. That's not God's ways. The law, the prophets, the writings, they all prescribed and represented not God's ways, not his path to get us to the destination, but humanity's own religious path. Ultimately, with the goal that we would realize this isn't it. This isn't helpful. This isn't getting us where we need to go. Amos chapter 5. I hate. This is God saying, I hate. That's a strong word. I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. I will not regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Instead, God says, let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Amen. See, God's not into the very things, according to the Bible, God's not into the very things that the Bible or the law prescribed. It's not the ritual, not the ceremonies, not the sacrifice, not the worship, and not even in the personal moral conduct. And how can I say this in regards to the moral law? Because even if you do good according to the law, according to moral law, you're still self-righteously acting out of the knowledge of good and evil. Your good deeds are originating in your flesh, in yourself, not his indwelling spirit. And that's the difference. See, the law, whatever law it is, Whether it's a a personal growth law or a a religious law, a church law, a church community law, law is applied by effort, personal willpower, and strength. The life of the spirit and all the fruit and all the morality that's found within it, it's walked out by faith. That's the difference. The just shall walk by faith. That says that a few times in the Bible because I think it's pretty important. So the question is, what good is the law then? Well, Galatians says, if the law is is the law against the promises of God, certainly not. For if there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by that law. But the scriptures can find all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. We don't live, as is Colossians chapter 2, I think, where it says we don't live by the principles of this world. Touch not, taste not, handle not. None of that's going to get you into your personal destiny. None of that's going to get you into the manifestation of the nature and the character and the ministry of Jesus. And none of that kind of stuff is going to get us as a fellowship to where God wants to take us and the impact He wants to have in this world. Those are not God's ways. See, the law used rightly is about Jesus. It points to Him as the source and the giver of life. And God wants us to see that law will never get us there. Jesus alone is God's way. Not the law of Moses, not any other law. And that actually means, and just as an aside here, but that means that like even the law of civil governments, the law of the land can be used to punish evil, but it can't produce righteousness. It cannot produce righteousness. Legalism, uh, fear, coercion, carrots and sticks, fines, imprisonment, all that kind of stuff. Nothing in that realm can produce righteousness. All they can do is hold evil back, but even then, only to a point. That's why God's priority is to change hearts. The hearts of the people in a nation, not those who are elected in it. It's almost a moot point. Because the, the, the problem goes so much deeper than actions. It speaks to nature. And only Jesus can change nature. So the law is not God's way. Any law, any type of law, in any way, in any shape, in any form, in any manner. Law does not get you there. It is not God's way. It says here that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is what caused so much problems in the early church, and this is what causes a lot of problems, if I'm honest, in churches today. There's two groups of people, one who, really, who both really believe that they know and adhere to God's ways and God's path. And you can read about the struggle in Galatians. But basically, there's one people who say, no, no, I, I know how to do God's will in my life. I mean, he saved me. I'm so grateful. But now I'm going to actually work it out. I'm going to apply my own energy and effort. And I'm going to get to God's destiny for my life. I'm going to fulfill that ministry that was prophesied over my life. I'm going to manifest the character of God by my effort, my energy, my willpower, everything that I'm applying myself. And there's another group of people that say, you know what? I got saved by grace through faith. I'm sanctified by grace through faith. All the promises of God are by grace through faith. And these people are able to rest in the fact that everything God wants to give me, He gives me in and through Jesus. And, and the, these groups are kind of opposed always. And if you read about it in Galatians, it says there's actually animosity between the two. One, the, the one, the law-based group, always attacks the free, freedom-based group. And actually, to the point where it says, kick kick that person out. Like, not, not out of the fellowship, but you know, it does say in the Bible, you know, you got to, you got to kick the, the law-based kid out. Wasn't that the experience that Abraham had? Had to kick the son that was born uh, according to works and strife and striving. And then there was the child of promise and the child of promise was persecuted by the child of self-effort and works. And eventually it came to the point where they had to say, you got to go because we can't cohabitate. Right. So don't let there be cohabitation in your life. Resolve it in your heart 100% that the law, principles, those are not going to get you there. No matter how many great books there are, because there are great books. The law can't save you. Your best effort can't save you. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says all of our own righteousness is like filthy rags. Our righteousness is just not good enough. It isn't. And you know, sometimes this is a trap, sometimes we fall in. But, but Paul had to ask this question of the Galatians. He said, you know, are you so foolish, guys? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Acts 13, 38 and 41 says, Therefore let it be known, brethren, that through this man Jesus is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things, catch this, which could not be justified by the law. Not just the law of Moses. There's some things, guys, that we, people struggle with over and over and over again, like the Israelites wandering around the same mountain, around and round and round and round. And the solution is: don't try harder, rest deeper. Rest deeper. Don't try harder. Jesus is God's path. There's a call in the Bible to repentance. There, there really is. But I mean, the, the repentance of God is a change of mind. So look at this in Ezekiel. He says, "Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways." Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Not I will ruin you, but there's a way that seems right to a man. Right. Because it's morally good. It's morally sound. It agrees with certain laws and principles that I agree with. But the end of that type of living is death. Yeah. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his way. Here's the call to repentance. In the Bible, anyway, sin, real bad behavior. is actually symptomatic of a bad nature that's being uh, manifested through a commitment to be its own savior and walking its own way. And we're called to forsake our ways, characterized by trying to earn God's best for our lives and embrace Jesus as God's way. See, this is what they missed in Isaiah. You remember that verse I shared, Isaiah 55, verse 8, where it says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Guess what he's talking about? Look at this. This is amazing. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. It's actually a reference to this. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Our way is let me earn it, achieve it, attain it. Let me be saved, blessed, and realize my destiny by my good works, my best decisions, my willpower, and my effort. But God says my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And here's how that's expressed. Everything you're working really hard for, I want to give you yeah. by grace in the person of Jesus. Yeah. That's how God's ways are higher than our ways. Yeah. Romans chapter 9, verse 16 says, So it's, then it's not of him who wills, nor him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Amen. See, the way of God is not to bless us by our qualifying ourselves. Whatever we believe is at the end of the road. Like, we're going to move. we got great things. you got great personal promises and blessings when you read the Scriptures. And as a fellowship, we're going to explode and blow up and have global reach. All that stuff. You know, those are promises from God. But it's not going to happen because we're able to make it happen. It's not going to be because we follow the formula. Yeah. It's going to be because we have faith in God. Yes, God has placed us in Christ, and all of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus, not in my best efforts. I know I'm belaboring the point, but I can't say it loud enough or clear enough. It's in Christ that all the promises of God are yes and amen. And the Bible says, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 1 uh, verse 30, it says, but of God are you in Christ Jesus? So if all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus, all I got to do is be in him because he's the one that actually all the promises were made to and I'm participating in his inheritance. If you read that in Ephesians chapter 1 where it talks about the riches of his inheritance in the saints, you're not qualifying for your own inheritance. You're getting a portion of what belongs to Jesus and he's graciously sharing it with you. So if, if it's just because I'm in him, the question is how do I get in him? How do I stay in him? What if I fall out of him? But here's, here's just a, a simple challenge. But of God, are you in Christ Jesus? Right. Just leave it there. Yes. God put me in Christ Jesus. Right. You know, there's lots of biblical answers to how did I get there, when did I get there, can I fall out, all that stuff. How about I just say, I'm in Christ because God put me in Christ. How about we say to one another, you're in Christ because God put you in Christ. And let's not try to analyze and figure out how and when that happened. Because here's the deal. I'll say, Sean, you're in Christ. You might not know it, you might not believe it, but I say you're in Christ because God reconciled the world to himself in Christ. And I say you're in Christ, and all of a sudden... I'm in Christ. Christ. I realize I'm in Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, in that day, you will realize that I'm in you and you in me and I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. There's a day of realization. And it's a faith that comes by hearing. So how amazing is it, instead of having formulas and rituals and six steps to the 10 ways to be able to say to people, you're in Christ. Of God are you in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you are fully qualified. And this is why, you know, we're on a different kind of journey. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of or weeping, they make it a spring. Like I said, I don't like journey. I don't like process. I don't like motive. I, I just want to get there to there and be done with it. But the Bible says, blessed is the man whose heart is set on journeying on being on a pilgrimage. The Bible calls us strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're working through this world on purpose with a clear destiny in mind. So we gotta, we gotta be blessed. We gotta, we gotta set our hearts on pilgrimage. But here's why it's different. Here's why the way of God, the path of God that we're walking as a fellowship and that you're walking as an individual believer in Jesus is different. Here's how it's different. We're not on a pilgrimage or a journey to get something. We're on a journey where we dispense what we have. Right. We're not on a journey where there's like, we, the church should never suffer from this kind of destination disease or whatever they call it, where it's like, after I do this, then that. We should never have that. See, we, the, the path of God, Jesus is the way. That way is loaded with benefits. And the journey that we're on is not trying to get somewhere, but walking through life, dispensing the good things that we already have. So, guys, we're on a journey. Part of that journey involves being here on a Sunday morning in a school. But we're dispensing benefits. We're not just taking stuff. We're giving it. Pray for the school, guys. Pray for the school. Yeah. Imagine that the grades in the school. Imagine that the, the the culture. Imagine good things happen because wow, the people of God at Impact Church they came through here for a couple of days and so or a couple of weeks, anyways. And some of the things that happened, a couple of days, <laughs> that's a that's a slip. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You walk through things and you should be leaving it better than you found it. Right. You walk through things and you're in a journey through life and sometimes there's awful things in front of you but your heart's set on pilgrimage. You realize I don't have to get to the other side in order to get stuff because I'm fully loaded and packing right now. I can walk through that thing and change it. That's the different kind of journey that we're on. So we do this by faith. Ultimately, guys, uh, one, one aspect of our, our, our eternal destiny and purpose is this. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our t- trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He's raised us up together with him, made us to sit together with him for this reason, for this purpose that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Yeah. How amazing is that? How amazing. The, the, the there that we're getting to, again, Ephesians chapter 3, it talks about the eternal purpose of God, us manifesting the manifold wisdom of God. Basically, that happens by just saying Yes. Thank you, Jesus. You get to load me with all the benefits, and I'm just going to manifest your goodness and your grace in my life every day. And as I walk through my life with a clear destination in mind, I'm not going to be better when I get there. Something greater is not going to happen. Right now, I'm complete and I'm full in Jesus. Yeah. Colossians two, you are complete in Him, complete in every way. The word complete and perfect is telos. It means that you've been perfected unto your final destination. Right. It actually means that the goal of your life has actually already been completed in Christ Jesus. So we're walking through life and we're sharing it. We're making the grace of God known and we're making things better as we walk through it. So we get to show off how good he is by how he treats us. So let's embrace his ways. His ways are so much higher, so much better than ours. And here it is. This is the way that's better. Everyone who thirsts, come to me. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. There's an exchange going on. What does he mean? Buy it. Well, here's what you got to exchange. Your way of earning it for his way of giving it freely. Right. That's it. That's the exchange. Why do you spend money, he asks, for that which is not bread, your wages for what does not satisfy? I mean, who can actually say that a relig- religious life is actually really fulfilling anyways? Right. Seriously? The mindset of the spirit is life and peace, but the mindset on the flesh is death? Yeah. There, there's an emotional, uh, mental toll that you'll pay by committed to living according to laws and principles and rules. Listen carefully to me, he says, and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. And on this side of the new covenant, that's already happened in Christ. God himself made a covenant with Jesus and everything that Jesus has and is, is ours. We just got to rest into it. So God says, my ways are not your ways. I'm going to get you there, not by your effort, not by your strife, not by your striving. You can abandon and you can let go of any commitment you have to laws and rules and principles and all that kind of stuff. And you'll actually manifest the beautiful nature of Jesus and his power by resting in him and letting the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life pop out. That's the way of God. It's really simple. The tricky thing is just believing it's that simple. It really is. So guys, here's the deal. There's a, I showed you this last week, but that's where we're going. But on the way, through here, on the way, yeah. we're going to bless one another. Uh. We're going to bless the community here. Yeah. We're going to see great things happen, because like, blessed is the person whose heart is set on pilgrimage. They go through the valley of Bacca. I'm not saying the school is Baca. Somebody might have said so an hour ago, but <laughs> <laughs> this is not Baca, but you know what I'm saying. Blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. They go from strength to strength. And they go through the Valley of Bacchus and they make it a better place. So we got incredible purpose and destiny there, but we got destiny and purpose here. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. All right, stand up with me if you will, guys. All right, as usual, I just want to take an opportunity here, take a chance. Is there anybody who, who's just, you know, you've been listening today and you're just thinking for the first time, it could be online too. You could be watching this on, on the interweb somewhere and uh, something's just connected in your heart and you're like, man, I want to know Jesus that way. I want to walk in the ways of Almighty God. I want to be one of those people who God just gives freely everything that he is and has. And all I have to do is say yes by faith. If you've never done that before, just want to give you a chance right now. I'm just going to count to three and ask that just as a way of having a little bit of faith. Uh, Everybody, if you don't mind, just close your eyes and bow your head and give somebody a, a moment to put your hand up at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Just as a way of saying, yeah, I believe. I believe that. I accept that. I want that. Thank you. You guys, if you're watching at home and that's you, stick your hand up right where you are. Sitting on your couch, whatever. Just a way of saying, you know, this is my faith. I'm identifying that I want to be one of those people. Here's the wonderful thing. Jesus has done everything for you. He really has. All the blessings, all the promises, all the goodness of God for you is because of him. And he just wants to share it with you. So let's pray together, guys. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for, Thank you for accepting me. You for accepting. I, accept you. I accept you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. That's it, guys. It's just accepting that God accepts you. That's it. Because He has and He does guys we got a ministry today if you want any in the house I think on online there's gonna be zoom prayer rooms as well I think Jeremy and Sharon will be in this all-access past place looking for you but if you're on the prayer ministry team today we're actually gonna have you instead of coming up here go over against that wall there that way when we're taking things apart we've got some space so uh, yeah if the prayer team can just make your way over there and if you want prayer today for anything please go on over there and uh, that'll happen but Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the way, the truth, and the life that he is. Thank you for your commitment to us, to bless us, to pour out good things in our lives for no other reason other than you're gracious and you love us. Lord, we open our hearts wide. We open our minds. We open ourselves up to walk in your ways and to let our lives become demonstrations of what you would freely give us, what you have freely done to us, and to become a demonstration in our own lives of what God can do when we just say yes. So I thank you, Father, and I pray that every single person here watching online or in this room in the sound of my voice, Father, I pray that the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of his grace would be something that was deeply made real and manifested in hearts by your Holy Spirit today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.